Today is uh, our Thanksgiving service, our time to, to sort of pause and, and think about uh, this week we are headed into. I don't know what the coming week holds for each one of you. I don't know if some of you have plans to travel, if you're going to be spending uh, a few quiet days at home. Our family is planning to head over to upstate New York on Wednesday, and we'll be with Katie's family. And there will be 19 of us under one roof for three days. (laughs) Ten of those 19 under 10 years old, so that'll be an adventure. But depending on the the people that are part of your Thanksgiving celebration, depending on the circumstances this year, right? it, it may make the the practice of being thankful more or less challenging. But as we look into the scriptures this morning, I want us to think about Thanksgiving not as a day that sort of happens to us, but more as a practice that we choose to enter into. A response to, firstly, who God is and also what he has done. uh, As children have reminded us already this morning. And so in, in thinking about this, this opportunity to give thanks, I was reflecting on what does the, the practice of thanksgiving involve. And I spent some time looking through the Bible. Uh, the idea of offering or giving thanks appears uh, well over a hundred times in the scriptures. And I was thinking about, well, what is it that we do when we give thanks? What's happening inside of us or or through us as we do this? And in most of these biblical examples, I'd say many, if not all, of these four components are present. First of all, thanksgiving involves identifying that which is good, that which is excellent. That's something that's, that's beautiful, right? Something we are thankful for. Right, so it's, it's paying attention to those things. Secondly, Thanksgiving involves making a personal connection to that. Right, we, we're not just thankful in the abstract. Right, we connect that which is good, that which is beautiful, that which is excellent, that which has been provided for us to our own story, right, to our own person. Thirdly, Thanksgiving requires that we call attention to these things. That might be by, by pausing and, and meditating, noticing, you know, meditating on God's goodness to us. It might be expressing that in words to one another. It might be expressing that in song and in hymn like we have this morning. Maybe you even put it on your social media posts. But, but we call attention to what God has done or what God has provided. Right? And, and in doing so, that helps complete this process. And it also invites others to share in the practice of thanksgiving with us by making it public. And fourthly, there is often uh, an emotional response, right? a feeling of, of gratitude or pleasure or enjoyment that results in us as we give thanks. Right, sometimes it's, it's that emotional or, or, or a sort of feeling that, that leads us into the practice of thanksgiving. Sometimes we choose to give thanks 
even when we're not feeling particularly thankful, and, and then sometimes those emotions and, and responses within our spirit uh, follow suit. Right? Sometimes that, that takes time. But as we mark this week in our, our national calendar, right, that's set aside for the practice of thanksgiving, I wanted to look at a pair of examples in particular in Scripture that speak about this practice. And as we look at those, I want to glean some, some uh, principles, some ideas. But I don't want us just to remain kind of in the theoretical or intellectual realm this morning. But I want to finish our worship time this morning with real practice, with the giving of thanks So we'll look at these two examples, and then we're going to uh, spend maybe ten minutes at the end of our time this morning in small groups, just where you are, practicing giving thanks. And and we'll do that in response to some particular scripture passages. Um, So I'll I'll give some instructions there at the end. Let me pray for us as we look. Uh, The two passages we'll be studying this morning are Psalm 100 and uh, some verses in the middle of Leviticus 7. Let me pray for us as we look at God's word. Jesus, you are the author of creation. You've spoken the world into being. And Lord, you are continuing to redeem and to call all things back under and into your lordship. So there is much for us to give you praise and thanks for today. Pray that as we study your word now, Lord, would our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our emotions, may all of those things be brought into obedience to you and to the giving of thanks. May the words of my mouth as I teach, may the meditations of each of our hearts please you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to start with Psalm 100. You can turn there. It's probably almost exactly in the middle of your Bible. Almost. And the reason I've chosen this psalm is that in the Hebrew scriptures, there are inscriptions above many of the psalms in the original Hebrew text. And the inscription written above Psalm 100 is, my Hebrew pronunciation isn't great, but it's Mismor Latoda, which means a song for thanksgiving. Right? Sounds appropriate. And actually, if you were here Last year on the Sunday following Thanksgiving, we used this, this passage as, as an outline for our liturgy and service last year. Let me read to you these five verses. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So Psalm 100 is is ascribed as a psalm of thanksgiving. And the big idea in this psalm is that God is deserving of our praise, that he's worthy of it. 
Based on these five verses, we could conclude that it is our duty to be thankful to God. We have an obligation. Because the core structure, the skeleton of these five verses is built around seven verbs. And they are all imperatives. They are all commands that call us to the practice of giving thanks. How do we give thanks? Well, it says we're commanded to do it by shouting, by being glad, by coming with songs, by entering God's gates, by bringing offerings of thanksgiving and praise. You can see each of those commands highlighted in red up here on the screen. God commands us, live as full people. But most of us, there's, there's a certain part of us that when we're commanded or told to do something, we resist doing it, right? We don't like to do things on the ground of, of being commanded or obliged. For most of us, it's better if we know why we're doing what we're doing. And so God also speaks to that part of who we are in verse 3. Right In the middle of all these commands, he also explains why this is necessary. He says that we're commanded to give thanks because of who we are. Verse 3 says, we are His. We are Yahweh's people. We are the flock of His pasture. This is why we're commanded to give thanks. Because thanksgiving reminds us of our identity. The practice of being thankful, of giving thanks, helps us to see who we really are. And as verse 5 goes on to explain, we are a people that belong to a unique, to the one and only true God who is good who is everlasting in his love, a God who is faithful. This is who we belong to. And so, if this is who our God is, then then it not only reminds us who we are, but it reminds us who he is, and and there's this fittedness to to the giving of thanks, right? If if God is all these things in verse 5, then it would only be fitting that if we belong to him, that we would be a thankful people, that we would express and and overflow with gratitude to him. So we're commanded to give thanks. We might ask, well, what, what would happen if we resisted, if we set aside the practice or the command of being thankful to God? The antithesis, I think, to this passage in Psalm 100 is found in Romans 1. And there Paul is speaking about the idolatry that he sees in in his day and in his world. And he speaks about those who do not worship God, those who are God-less. Those who have lost their sense of identity as God's created people. And look at what he says in verse 21, Romans 1. He says, for although the, the godless knew God, even though they could see the evidence of who he was in creation, Paul says, they made a choice to neither glorify him as God, nor give thanks to him, nor be grateful to God for what he has done in creation. And so their thinking, he says, became futile, and their hearts were darkened. 
Right, so there's, there's a danger in, in failing to practice, failing to focus on, failing to, to live out of that place of gratitude in our worship. Right, God commands us to worship so that our hearts and minds might be illuminated with truth, illuminated with, with the reality of who he is. But even as God commands these things from us as his people, I want to balance that out in, in another way and in another passage because I think God so too has provided freedom in the way that that thanksgiving is brought and, and when and, and even how in some cases. We are freely commanded, if you will. And one of the, the places in the scriptures that I think illustrates this powerfully is in uh, the book of Leviticus and in the descriptions of the way offerings were brought to the tabernacle. In particular, this this passage in Leviticus 7 that describes the practice of bringing a thanksgiving offering. If you remember back from this summer when we went through the book of Leviticus, the, the first nine chapters of the book are all about the regulations concerning kinds of offerings that were brought to the tabernacle. There were burnt offerings, there were grain offerings, there were offerings for sin and disobedience. But most of these offerings are are required of the people, right? God tells them, bring them at this particular time. Bring them under this particular circumstance. It's required of you. But this category in Leviticus 7, right? There's this, this different category of offerings that were sometimes called peace offerings, or fellowship offerings, or in some cases, free will offerings. It depends on the the translator. But these particular offerings were brought voluntarily. They were brought when the worshiper chose to do so, when the worshiper was moved to do so. And Leviticus 7 describes what these offerings look like. Leviticus chapter 7, verses 11 through 14. These are the regulations for the fellowship offering anyone may present to the Lord. If they offer it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, they are to offer thick loaves made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in, thin loaves made without yeast and brushed with oil, and thick loaves of the finest flour well kneaded and with oil mixed in. Along with their fellowship offering of thanksgiving, they are to present an offering with thick loaves of bread made with yeast. They are to bring one of each kind as an offering, as a contribution to the Lord. If you kind of piece together the the offering that's being described here, the worshiper would have to bring this, this whole basketful of breads to the tabernacle or the temple. We have dense loaves. We have thin loaves brushed with oil. We have even leavened loaves. This is one of the only times leavened bread would be brought. It wouldn't be offered, but it would be eaten there in the tabernacle. And all of this, this bread was also to complement the the meat offering, the animal that was to be given as part of this free will or fellowship offering. John Calvin called these offerings the the offerings of prosperity. 
both because of the size of, of the meal involved, but also because of the circumstances which motivated these offerings. Right? These were celebratory occasions. They were times of, of eating and celebrating in God's house something God had done that was good. I suppose that the closest we would come to, to these kinds of meals are, are meals like Thanksgiving, like the meal we share tonight. Right, where we're not eating in God's sanctuary, but we'll eat under God's sanctuary in the fellowship hall. And in place of all the mixed bread and lamb that was offered, we'll have ham and pie from the fellowship committee. But these thank offerings in Leviticus 7, again, they were occasions motivated in the heart of the worshiper to thank God for something specific. Right? If maybe the, the birth of a child or a particularly fruitful harvest or, or just an overall sense of, of shalom, of, of well-being, that God had been with them in some way. These offerings were a response to that. And so in, in the heart of the worshiper, then preparations would begin to be made. They would, they would set aside extra grain. They would set aside additional oil. They would choose an animal particular animal from the flock, and they would bring these things then as they made pilgrimage to the place of worship. But interestingly enough, you didn't just bring all this to the tabernacle and leave it there with the priest and head home. The commandment was to bring all this, to give thanks to God, and then to stick around and eat of these offerings. You needed to to enjoy them. Whoa. One of the, the places our family has enjoyed serving a handful of times here in our community is a new place. It used to be the, the Burlington Emergency Shelter, and they provide housing, they provide job training, they have uh, recovery programs. And every night they're committed to providing dinner for their residents. And they ask local churches or or groups from the community to supply that meal. But they encourage you not just to drop off the food like a a catering service, but they really want whoever cooks and prepares that meal to stick around, to sit down at the table with their residents and enjoy a time of eating together. And and it's incredible the joy and the, the connections you can make with someone over the the course of sharing a meal. So too, when a worshiper here in Leviticus is commanded to bring these offerings, right? they're told to linger. They're told to stick around. And they would offer these things to the priest. The priest would take them in, most of the offering, all but the, the leavened bread. They would take into the tabernacle and they would present, part of it would be sort of burnt as a, an aroma as a pleasing sacrifice to God himself. A portion of it would be taken aside uh, and given as a gift to the priesthood. But then the, the lion's share of this bread and this meat that was offered would be returned to the worshiper. And they would dine on that. They would feast there in the house of God. They would savor a fine meal in God's presence. Right? And a meal like that, a meal of this size, a meal of this sacrifice was a rare pleasure for them. 
right? It was, a, it was a feast, like our Thanksgiving Day feasts. Or as one of my Australian professors used to say, God must love a good barbecue, right? That was the way they feasted as a culture. And so there's this invitation to come and, and be in God's presence, to express our gratitude and thanksgiving by sharing a meal with him. So this morning, I want us to try to hold these two realities, these two passages together as we think about the practice of thanksgiving. Right? Giving thanks is both imperative, it's commanded, it's required of us as God's people, but it's also meant to be a free expression from our hearts, right? that the movement of a worshiper recognizing the glory and goodness and kindness of God and giving thanks for it. So tonight we'll have an opportunity to do that over a, a meal, right? That's a fitting practice and response this evening. But for the next few minutes, I also want us to, to respond to and to freely offer our thanks to God by, by naming who he is, by savoring who he is, and by praying that out loud together with each other. So I've chosen three uh, brief passages of scripture that are our prayers of thanksgiving, taken from different parts of, of the Bible. And they all sort of, each one of them has a theme. So what I'm going to ask you to do right now is, if you need to just sort of shift or turn, try to get into a group of at least four or five, maybe six people, just there in the pews where you are. And I'm going to put these passages up, and I'll read them out loud, and then I'll give you two or three minutes in your group just to pray out loud, uh, if you feel comfortable, ways that you are thankful to God for these things, okay? So if you need to get up or move or shift, you can do that now. And in about 15 seconds, I'll read the first of these passages out loud. Guys, for uh, going a little bit out of the the usual comfort zone, Um, but I'm going to invite our ushers forward now, and we'll continue our worship through the giving of our gifts and tithes to the Lord.